talking about innovation in teaching and education, popular pedagogy. Discussions that are topical and sometimes philosophical, popular pedagogy. Popular pedagogy. Hi there. Thanks for joining us and welcome to another episode of Popular Podagogy, where we try to bring big ideas in teaching and education to life. I'm your host, Chris Carlton, and this podcast is being brought to you by the Faculty of Education at Queen's University. Welcome to our September podcast. In this podcast, I am excited to be speaking with Lindsay Carmichael, an amazing award-winning Canadian author of more than 20 science books for children and young adults. Lindsay uses her forensic science education and field experience to wow her readers with cool facts and information to help spark their curiosity and ignite their imagination. Lindsay has joined me today to talk about the urgency of raising science literate kids and why in today's global environment, it is even more important than ever. I can't wait for our conversation. I'd like to introduce our guest to our podcast today, and that is award-winning Canadian author, Lindsay Carmichael. Welcome to our podcast, Lindsay. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I had the amazing opportunity of having you guest lecture in my science classes here at Queen's University a couple of years ago, and I must say that I am still quoting you and using some of your research that you presented to us. In fact, I have several signed copies of your amazing books. I'm sitting with one right now in my class and in my office. And I know our head librarian, Brenda Reed, makes sure that our educational library has many of your children's science books ready to be signed out. Your, your books have the ability to make STEM topics engaging, relevant, and fun. And even more importantly, they help inspire a love of learning and a love of reading, which I know is so important for our students. So congratulations on your success as an author and an educator, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much. I am still at the stage where I can't believe that people are actually reading my books, never mind getting something out of them. So it's so nice to hear that you're finding them useful in the classroom. <laughs> and it, it's great to introduce the new teacher candidates every year to your books. And they're proudly displayed in our library, the educational library. It, it's just, it's one of those things. And we were talking about it earlier. When I look at your books, not only are, is the content incredible, but the artistry and and the 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 work in it is just beautiful so it's an engaging factor to be able to grab onto something like that I have been incredibly lucky in my illustrators uh Jose Bisseon who did uh, the Royal Forest it's just stunning it's absolutely beautiful work and uh the illustrator for the book that I've got coming out next year has done just as incredible job a job in a totally different style so I, I'm feeling very grateful as an author to to work with such talented people and I know I'm going to have to bring you back on the podcast because you've got some incredible work that you're working on right now. I've seen the little bits of it and new books. So uh, definitely we'll come back to that. Uh, but today, Lindsay, the phrase science literacy has been around for a while now, and we seem to keep adding that word literacy to more and more subjects and topics in education. Um, we have financial literacy, we have math literacy, and even food literacy um, was added to the 2022 science curriculum, which I'm excited about. The word literacy means the ability to read, write, speak, and listen in a way that helps us communicate effectively and make sense of the world around us. So I remember as far back as I think 2015, 
getting my students involved in some of the amazing activity and, and events that were available through Science Literacy Week, which happens across Canada in September. But as I started to ask teachers and friends what they thought science literacy meant, the common feeling or thinking was that it just meant reading science books and help facilitate science knowledge and understanding, which is a fantastic starting point because we need to instill that love of reading in our students. But science literacy, I know, is a lot more involved than just reading about science. So my first question in our discussion is going to be, can you tell us from your point of view what science literacy means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you've already touched on the issue a little bit in referring to the idea that many people feel science is about facts. It's about learning facts. It's about memorizing facts. It's about acquiring knowledge about the natural world. And while all of that is incredibly important, it's not what science is. Science is a verb. It's doing things. It's a way of thinking about the world. And that's what science literacy means to me, is developing our understanding of how science actually works so that when we encounter information about the natural world or human beings, we have a skill set that we can use to assess that information. We can tell whether the experiment has been done in a way that is going to generate trustworthy information. We can compare and contrast different kinds of results from different kinds of studies. And we can appreciate that one of the biggest strengths of science is that it is based on data and that that data is always evolving, that it's self-correcting. I know that one thing people find really frustrating about science is this idea that scientists can never make up their minds, um, that you know one day caffeine is good for you and the next day caffeine is bad and should I drink coffee or should I give it up entirely? Um, and I, I definitely understand why that is frustrating. <laughs> in a day-to-day -day life situation. But for me, understanding that science is always evolving and developing and testing new ideas against old knowledge and fixing itself as it goes is what's really important to understand. And that is part of being literate when it comes to science, knowing how that process of inquiry works and how it generates information. And I think that that evolving and developing um, we saw that even more during the COVID pandemic in terms of the science seemed to be changing all the time and our understanding was challenged every, every time we turned another corner. So even as adults, we need to build that, that science literacy in our own, in our own uh, ability, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And the last two years have really brought this home for a lot of people because we have been watching science evolve in real time as we have tried to figure out how to keep ourselves and our communities safe. And it can be really frustrating and it can lead to a lot of anxiety and uncertainty because we don't know how to make good decisions if we don't understand whether the information we're being given is good quality information. Um, and the information about COVID has changed so dramatically from when this brand new virus first emerged to what we know about it now and what we are still learning. And there's still a lot to learn. And I think that part of the challenge with this situation in particular um, is that the stakes were really high and continue to be very high for so many people. So we all wanted actionable information as quickly as possible. Um, and it was difficult to know how to make those decisions as the information kept changing and as it continues to keep changing. 
And I feel like part of the issue surrounded the communication of science rather than the science itself, because people were rushing to get that data out as quickly as possible. And it wasn't necessarily going through the same assessment process that science normally is subject to. And that's great because one of the comments that I pulled out of that, it's, it's our ability to understand and effectively, effectively engage in conversation and discussion about scientific mm. knowledge. And this rolls right into our next question because, so why is science literacy so important for our students, especially now when we seem to be bombarded by new scientific facts and figures from all types of sources, everybody seems to have an opinion. So mm -hmm. why is it so important for our students right now, financial, or sorry, science literacy? Uh, you know, it's really interesting because you and I are old enough that we have watched the internet actually be born <laughs> Very and true. develop into the thing that it is today. Whereas most kids that are going through school now have always lived with the internet. So they don't really have that same kind of perspective that we do. And on the one hand, I think that the internet is the world's greatest invention. Um, certainly, I could not do the work that I do if I didn't have that access to information. But as we know, there is more information available to us than there has ever been before. And the quality of that information is extremely variable. And I think that when people are overwhelmed by the volume of information, our default response is to go with what sounds familiar from people we know. And often that is people we know on Facebook or other social media platforms, because that's where we're connected to our groups. Um, and we're getting our information from sources that are not necessarily trustworthy, but they sound trustworthy or they look trustworthy. And it has gotten harder and harder than ever to distinguish between factual information that has been vetted, that has gone through the scientific assessment process and information that appears to be just as credible, but isn't, or advertising that has been disguised as news. Um, that media literacy is really intersecting with science literacy in a way that I don't think it ever really did before. And that to me, is why we need books more than ever. That's a question science writers get asked a lot. Why do we still need books when we have Google? Well, <laughs> um, if you knew what kind of process a book had to go through before it was actually produced, you wouldn't need to ask that question. There are so many layers of research and fact-checking and vetting and double-checking and verifying and pulling out my hair trying to confirm things <laughs> um, that happens with books that does not happen with the internet. And, and I even see that, Lindsay, in our textbooks that we have. Um, and, and you and I have discussed this before. By the time a textbook gets out or is published, especially in science, when when day to day we are having new inventions, new discoveries, uh, a science book is a science textbook is almost outdated by the time we get to start to use it. And so we have to be careful about making sure we stay relevant and making sure we stay up to date with what we're doing. So um, you already sort of started talking about it. I, I love the topic of media literacy because we have to we have to go deep into that. But how do books play a part of science literacy? I mean, you've got some incredible books published. So how do they play or how do we use them as part of our science literacy? And what's the importance of them? Mm. 
I think that there are a couple of different ways that books can play a role in developing science literacy, especially for children. Um, one thing a lot of people don't know is that there are different types of science books that appeal to different kinds of kids. So a lot of us remember the textbook style science book that we had when we were kids, massive walls of text, maybe a black and white photo if we were lucky. That is not what science books look like now. Uh, they are bright, they are colorful, they're engaging, they're quirky, they're fun, and they come in a, in a variety of different styles. So there are still those sort of traditional overview kinds of books that we used to have for kids that want a broad sense of a topic, but there are also expository books that take a deep dive into very specific and weird facets of the natural world. Um, there are browsable books, uh, which personally I'm not a huge fan of. I love context that helps the facts stick together, but there are kids out there that just want facts. And those browsable, non-linear, DK eyewitness style books are great for kids like that. There are activity books with the how-tos and the experiments that are getting kids actually engaged in the process of science. And there's this wonderful branch of narrative science books that are more uh, focused on the process of how scientists have made discovery um, or biographies of little known scientists, female scientists, scientists of color that are starting to be published now and that are giving every child a sense that they are represented in science and that they can do science. Um, and all of those things are giving kids access to literacy and building those critical thinking skills often without them even realizing that it's happening because all they know is that they're reading something really interesting. Um, and the research does support this. There are kids that would rather read nonfiction than anything else. And there are kids that love fiction and nonfiction equally. But as adults, we tend to think that kids don't wanna read nonfiction because it's boring. That's us, that's not them. So we have to, uh, have to let kids find the information that they're interested in. That's what build, builds readers and science literate adults. And I think that you touched on the universal design of learning and the fact that we need multiple uh, means of representation. Mm -hmm. And so nonfiction, fiction, all those different styles of books. And, and I agree with you when, when I think of nonfiction, um, it was that, that text heavy, uh, maybe a few black and white pictures, um, but when I look at your, your book, The Boreal Forest, and, and take a look at the pictures, I could do a picture walk with my kindergarten class through this book because it's, it's basically a piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. And then I can take it to my grade eights and we can dig a little bit deeper. But it, it to me, those reluctant readers are brought in. It's like a gateway so that they can see how beautiful uh, this topic is through the pictures. And we say a picture is worth a thousand words. We're, we're showing them that uh, in, in your books. And I, I know I've got a lot of different ones. You really concentrate on captivating the audience. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's such an important thing. And, and part of the reasons why, um, yes, we can Google anything these days, but not only is it is it the idea of, of you've got to be careful of what your that social media or media literacy aspect of it, but to actually hold and feel and smell a, a book is is almost like a lost art. And we need to get our kids back into that because that love of reading 
is such an important factor in, in our overall growth. And I remember from uh, the class that you were in with me, you talked about the actual scientific data and research about the value of reading for kids versus what kids that aren't reading and, and how that development of, of really helps them in so many different ways and so many different avenues of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple things that you you mentioned that I just want to touch on as well. That idea of multiple entry points to the book. Um, the visual literacy of getting information out of the illustration or out of a graph or a map that could be included in a science book, learning how to interpret uh, data in different ways, um, looking at the words versus making your own pictures, digging into that back matter, which is a fabulous tool for teachers with the glossary and the further reading and the sources. Um, but also there has been a lot of research that shows that the reading that kids do for fun is adding organically to their stockpile of background knowledge. And then when they are exposed to new ideas or information in class, it pings in their brain and they think, yeah, wait a minute, I've heard this before, this sounds familiar. And those ideas start to connect and start to synergize. And there was one study um, with a group of high school students um, that that we talked about where it was almost a 30% increase in their test scores in a class that was allowed 10 minutes of free reading on whatever topic that they were studying versus a class that was just taught in a traditional way. So having access to books on these topics that we want kids to learn about is again, sneaking that knowledge into their brains and they don't even know because they're just so engaged in this amazing, interesting, wonderful story that they're reading. And I actually took that that fact that you gave me there, that research, And for one of my next classes, I asked Brenda Reed, our librarian, to bring me all of her books she could find on a specific topic. And I just put them out on the table. And this Mm. is with adults. And all you could hear was, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh, this is incredible. And they were just absorbing it in such a wonderful way so that when I started the conversation, they had that it wasn't that they had the background knowledge, but they had already activated their process and they were excited about what we were going through. So it was a a neat way to do it. And yes, some of your books were in there as well. (laughs) Lovely. Um, I actually have heard from a lot of adults that uh, if they want to explore a brand new topic, the first thing they do is pull out a children's book because they're not only accessible for brand new learning, um, but they are full of those crazy, ridiculous, oh, wow, I never knew that kind of facts that uh, make us feel like we're 10 years old again. Yeah. And and what a great feeling for every child in us and the child that are there. Um, I know Science Week is wonderful and it, and it has so many opportunities for teachers to get involved, but I was wondering if I could ask you, um, and this is what I do with all of our guests, just sort of one final tip is that if you were to give some advice in a couple of sentences to new teachers, how do, how do we sort of do the step one into science literacy? What would be a good starting point for, for teachers? Well, I'm going to give you three. Because I love you, it. You can't ask a professional researcher to only give you one fact. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. Um, the first thing that I would always suggest is to make friends with your librarian, as you have mentioned. Um, if your school has a teacher librarian, make use of that resource. If not, get in contact with the children's librarian at your local public library. They would be delighted to help you find books on any topic that you are ready to teach your kids. Um, the second thing I would suggest is that you check out Melissa Stewart's blog. 
and I have provided that link, uh, so it'll be available to the listeners today. Um, she is an author, an editor, and an enormous advocate for children's nonfiction, and there are a ton of resources on her blog about the different kinds of nonfiction that are available, research on children, on literacy, on science, and how it all fits together, and that will be very inspiring. And the third thing is to choose your books with care. When you're assessing books that you want to bring into the classroom, pay attention to that copyright date so that you can be confident that the information is recent. Have a look at the back matter. Look for those supporting tools like the glossary, the author's note, the author's sources, the acknowledgments that are going to help tell you how the author did his or her research and whether the information in the book should be trusted. And pay attention to representation as well. If the books are including stories about people or images, illustrations or photos of people, make sure that a wide diversity of people are represented so that every kid in your classroom can see themselves participating in science. Incredible points there. I wanna just, friends with librarians, librarians are, are the bloodline to, for me, for, for rich resources. Um, Melissa Stewart or other blogs like that, find them and we're gonna have uh, that information on our website. The last one I really just wanted to touch quickly on, choose your books with care. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I love that point. Is there a way for teachers to find book lists that would sort of already been vented and, and give us a better understanding of, because there's so many books out there and there's so much, and, and I know we're all busy. So are there lists or are there places where we can specifically look for those type of books? There are. There are a number of awards that are specifically for science books, and they will give you uh, not only the winner, but the shortlist for a number of years going backwards. Those are fabulous places to look for um, ideas, and your librarians will know what those awards are. Um, the Canadian Children's Book Centre does have some book databases. I don't believe they have one for science yet, but they've got a history database and a social science database. Um, if you're looking for Canadian content specifically, that's a great place to go. Um, and honestly, if you do go to Google and you Google Science Book Awards Children, a lot of that stuff is gonna pop up for you and you'll be able to, uh, to cull through those lists that have already been um, curated by librarians and professional reviewers and other people who work in the children's book industry and uh, and know what's out there. No, oh, that is incredible because it 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 is such a vast uh, amount of information, and to be able to narrow it down and still take due diligence and look through that representation and all those things that you talked about is, um, but it's nice to sort of have it narrowed down a little bit. And again, that's why our librarians are such a valuable assets to to teaching. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for your expertise, experience, and above all, your passion for reading and writing um, and sharing it with us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure and always very educational when I have an opportunity to speak with you. And I'm so looking forward to, one, having you back on the podcast so that we can talk about all the new uh, innovative things you're doing. And I know a little bit about them. And I'm not going to release them yet. Um, and also I'm hoping that I can get you back at Queens because I know how valuable it was to have you in speaking personally, uh, about your passion and about, uh, uh, the way you have become such an incredible author and educator and supporter of literacy in so many different ways. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I would love to come back anytime. Awesome. That does it for another episode of popular podagogy. 
Again, thank you to our amazing guest author and educator, Lindsay Carmichael. I hope you take the time to visit her website at www.lecarmichael.ca and check out her amazing books and resources, which will also be on our website. Josh, as always, where can our listeners subscribe to make sure they don't miss any of our popular Podagogy podcasts? Yeah, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Faculty of Education website, and pretty much any other place you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to check out our Queen's Faculty of Education website and search for Popular Podagogy for additional resources and information. Well, that's it from myself, Chris Carlton, and our incredibly talented and resourceful podcast team of Josh Vine and Aaron York. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay connected. And we will see you next time for another episode of Popular Podagogy.